Hello. Good evening. <laughs> Thank you so much all for coming. I hope you've enjoyed your dinner and are enjoying fitting. <laughs> um, so tonight we're coming to the end of our little series of Meals with Jesus. And so I think it's kind of fitting that the meal that we're looking at tonight is one of the last meals that Luke records Jesus having before his crucifixion. In fact, it's the last one except for the Last Supper. Um, and it's kind of the culmination of the many meals that Jesus has eaten throughout his ministry, and meals which have so often involved welcoming outcasts at the table. And lots of the themes of the gospel, quite a lot of which we've looked at over the past few evenings, come together in this story. So we'll see how an outcast is welcomed into the kingdom and how that salvation is acted out around the meal table and the transformation that comes with that how salvation matters for the present, today, and how community matters, and how Jesus turns people's expectations upside down. I think that's probably enough to be going on with. And I'd like us to carry on with the same approach that we've taken to the last two meals, focusing particularly on the characters in the story. And this week we'll spend most of our time considering Zacchaeus, but we'll also briefly think about the crowd of onlookers. But let's start by reading the account of the meal together. Luke chapter 19, if you want to read along. From verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He's gone to be the guest of one who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This passage ends with Jesus kind of giving a summary statement of his mission. He came to seek out and save the lost. And through the gospel, Luke has given us countless examples of Jesus doing that. And these lost are often the outcasts in society, the ones who are scorned and rejected and excluded. And this story is no different. Zacchaeus is definitely an outcast. He's the chief tax collector, working in partnership with Rome, the oppressor and enemy of Israel. He would have been despised and excluded. And at the start of the story, we see how he's also excluded physically. He's too short to see over the crowds, and no one makes room for him to get to the front to see Jesus. Just like the woman who had to come uninvited to the meal at the Pharisee's house back in chapter 7. But Zacchaeus is determined. He surely would have heard stories about Jesus, about his teaching and miracles, and the way that he treated other tax collectors. And now he wants to see this man for himself. So much so that he runs ahead and climbs a tree, which is definitely not something that respectable grown men did in that society. But I think Zacchaeus gets a little more than he bargained for. He doesn't just see Jesus and hear him teach. He has an actual encounter with him that changes his life forever. And that the two meals we've looked at so far in this series We've seen Jesus first being a guest at Simon's house and then hosting a meal, unlike any other, 
with 5,000 guests in a wilderness outside Bethsaida. And here he invites himself to dinner. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And in that context, the Greek word that they use for stay clearly implies that a meal was going to take place. So that's the invitation held out to Zacchaeus. I want to come and stay at your house to share dinner with you. Will you have me? I want to pause here for a while and pretend that we don't know how the story carries on. If you were hearing it for the first time, how would you expect Zacchaeus to respond to that invitation? Over and over again through Luke's Gospel, we see how sinners and tax collectors respond rightly to Jesus. They accept his offer of salvation, his invitation to be transformed, and they choose to follow him. And the Pharisees and religious leaders typically respond badly. But there's another group who tends to be characterized in this way, the rich. Just before this story in chapter 18, Luke describes an encounter that Jesus has with a rich young ruler. The young man is not willing to give up his wealth in order to follow Jesus, and he goes away full of sadness. Do you remember how Jesus sums up that encounter? How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So when we get to Zacchaeus now, the way he's described leaves us in a bit of a dilemma. He's a chief tax collector and he's rich. We're pretending that we already don't know the end of the story. Everything Luke has told us so far about tax collectors would lead us to assume that though in his community Zacchaeus is an outcast, he'll be welcomed by Jesus and will choose to enter into the community of salvation. But everything Luke has told us so far about those who are wealthy would perhaps lead us to assume the opposite, that he, like the rich young ruler, will cling to his wealth rather than choosing to follow Jesus. Yes, he was keen to see Jesus at the start of the story, but then so was the rich young ruler. He sought Jesus out, but still ultimately chose his wealth over Jesus. So how will Zacchaeus respond? Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he's gone to be the guest of one who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. How does he respond? He hurries down and is happy to welcome him. It literally says that he did it rejoicing. So yes, there are parallels between Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler. But whereas he cared more about his wealth than following Jesus. Just a few verses later, we see Zacchaeus, who's also incredibly wealthy, joyfully saying yes to Jesus and choosing himself to give away half of his possessions and repay four times over all those he's cheated. And that shows us quite clearly that there's no type of who enters the kingdom. No group or type of person is excluded, even if stereotypically they don't respond well to Jesus. The invitation is held out to everyone, and we can't predict how people will respond. One of the New Testament scholars, Joel Green, says that this story pulls the rug from under every cliche, every formula by which people's status before God might be calculated. Just a week or two ago in my home group, we were challenged that it's not for us to say who's in and who's out. That's for God alone. Time and again, we see how Jesus turns expectations upside down as he welcomes the ones everybody thought were out and challenges whether the supposed insiders are actually in. And I think we need to allow him to gently 
challenge and remove all our preconceptions and prejudices about who might respond well or badly, who's in and who's out. But let's go back now and spend a little more time thinking about the invitation that Zacchaeus receives. I want to come and be your guest, to stay in your house and eat with you. Will you have me? Do you see what Jesus is doing here when he says this? When he makes himself the one who has to be welcomed and hosted and fed. It's kind of like at the feeding of the 5,000 when he empowers his 12 disciples to act as hosts and feed the crowd. He's giving an opportunity for Zacchaeus to play the role of host. And that's so important. We are called to welcome people and serve them and offer hospitality. But it's also so important that they get opportunities to do the same. What Jesus does here says to Zacchaeus, you matter, I value you, and you have a place to serve and a purpose. You have dignity. I think sometimes we can be so focused on serving that it's hard for us to allow others to serve us. At least it is for me. When I think of outreach or evangelism or hospitality, I always tend to see myself being the one doing. But I think it takes a kind of humility to do what Jesus does here, to be the guest rather than the host means giving up control because the host welcomes and serves but they're in the position of power and God clearly designed his people his church to be a community of both giving and receiving a community where everyone has a role to play a body where each part is significant and has a task to fulfill so doesn't it make a whole lot of sense actually that as we're inviting people into that community sometimes one of the most significant things we can do is give them a role and allow them to serve and when I was reflecting on this, it made me think of one of the guys who was coming to Storehouse here pretty regularly a while back. And he was always wanting to help out and stay till the end to help clear up. It made me think of when I first came to St. Andrews. And I felt quite at home in this church right from the very first Sunday, even before I knew anyone. But I really started to feel like I belonged later that year. When I started helping with Young Vineyard, when I was in a home group that helped with hosting on Sunday mornings when I was given the opportunity to help in the office, when I had a job to do, when I was giving as well as receiving. Like T.S. Eliot writes in Choruses from the Rock, a church for all and a job for each, every man to his work. Of course, it's how we're designed as humans in the image of God. One of my favorite theological words is perichoresis, and it's used <laughs> It's used to describe God as three in one and some of what that means. And probably the most helpful, beautiful way I've heard it explained is as a dance. Listen to this. The theologians in the early church tried to describe this wonderful reality that we call Trinity. If any of you have ever been to a Greek wedding, you may have seen their distinctive way of dancing. It's called perichoresis. There are not two dancers, but at least three. They start to go in circles, weaving in and out in this very beautiful pattern of motion. They start to go faster and faster and faster, all the while staying in perfect rhythm and in sync with each other. Eventually, they're dancing so quickly, yet so effortlessly, that as you look at them, it just becomes a blur. Their individual identities are part of a larger dance. The early church fathers and mothers looked at that dance and said, that's what the Trinity is like. It's a harmonious set of relationship in which there is mutual giving and receiving. This relationship is called love, and it's what the Trinity is all about. The perichoresis is the dance of love. 
We're made in the image of a God who is inherently communal, relational, reciprocal. A three-in-one God who's eternally involved in a beautiful dance of mutuality, hospitality, graciousness and love, giving and receiving. I think that's what Zacchaeus gets a little glimpse into when he accepts Jesus into his home as a guest, when he himself receives welcome and acceptance into the kingdom community. And I love that this takes place around the table. Jesus says he has to stay, he has to remain at Zacchaeus' house. He's offering him the opportunity to share life with him, the ordinary realities of everyday life, eating and drinking. And it's in that context that Zacchaeus experiences transformation and that Jesus makes that wonderful statement. Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. That's a pretty powerful statement, biblically. It's saying he's one of us. He's at home in the people of God. He's included in the community of salvation. But Jesus doesn't just express that with words. He's been acting it out the whole time in his acceptance of Zacchaeus, in his desire to sit around the table and share a meal with him, to share ordinary, everyday life with him. And that declaration that salvation has come today echoes back through the gospel to chapter 4, when right at the start of his ministry, Jesus reads from Isaiah 61 in the synagogue and then says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Salvation has come today. It's broken in. We're back to the now and not yet again. And one of the commentaries I read describes it like this. Salvation is not something purely for the future. Salvation begins here and now, today, as Jesus, and subsequently the church in his name, seeks out, finds, and incorporates within the community the excluded and the lost, rich tax collectors like Zacchaeus among them. Just like we saw with the women in chapter 7, part of what what Jesus is doing is bringing Zacchaeus back into community. That's part of what salvation involves, a physical present-day welcome and acceptance and belonging, a transformation from outcast to one included in the community. But that's not the only transformation that Zacchaeus undergoes. His statement in verse 8 is pretty big. Half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll pay him back four times as much. That's a pretty drastic change of heart and lifestyle for a wealthy tax collector. But Zacchaeus really gets it. He sees a glimpse of the kingdom and what life in it looks like. And he's all in, wallet and everything. This is repentance, turning around and saying, I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to think that way anymore. This is transformative salvation. And the invitation that Jesus holds out, the grace he offers, is not cheap grace. It's costly, and it radically transforms lives. But I think one of the the things that this story really brings home is the fact that these transformations aren't just the ones that we instinctively want, that instinctively feel good. I think all of us would be more than happy to accept the transformation from outcast to included, from sinner to one forgiven and welcomed and accepted. But what about the transformation from selfishness to selflessness, from resentment to grace, from a desire to administer justice as we see it, to mercy and love? One of the things that's come up again and again as we've looked at these meals with Jesus is the fact that salvation is about more than our future hope. It matters for life now. But that also means some challenging transformations for us now. Our lives need to be brought in line with the way of the kingdom. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus is doing when he promises to give half his wealth to the poor 
and repay those he's cheated. But this is where I love the fact that the gospel writers tell us stories about Jesus and the people he encounters and transforms. The stories are individual, personal. For Zacchaeus, kingdom living meant making some serious decisions about how to use his wealth. What might it look like for us? In big things and in small things this week, what might it look like for us to every day seek to bring our lives, our thoughts, our words, our actions into line with the way of the kingdom? And one final thing as we consider Zacchaeus. Jesus declares in verse 10 that he's a son of Abraham, a member of God's people. So he clearly undergoes a status change and a change of lifestyle, but there is no indication that he leaves his job. Presumably he goes back to collecting taxes, but now he does it as a citizen of God's kingdom. So he does it differently, and he takes God's presence with him as he goes. So here again there is evidence of the transforming power of the kingdom not just for individuals, but on a larger scale. Even despised, dishonest occupations can be redeemed. Just like we saw in the feeding of the 5,000, culture and society can be redeemed. So what about that society Zacchaeus was a part of? What about the other characters, the crowd of onlookers? The first time we see them, they're like a block between Zacchaeus and Jesus. Because he's small and the crowd are in the way, he can't get to see Jesus. And his small height is the point that's often emphasized in this story, but that alone is not enough to stop him seeing Jesus. One of the commentaries points out that height is no necessary obstacle to seeing a parade. It's not simply that Zacchaeus can't see over the crowd, but that the crowd itself is present as an obstacle to him. It's like a symbol of the exclusion that he experiences in society because he's a tax collector. And then the next time Luke mentions a crowd, they're again setting themselves up as a barrier between Jesus and Zacchaeus. When Jesus invites himself to dinner, they start to grumble and say, he's gone to be the guest of one who's a sinner. It's the same reaction that we see over and over again from onlookers who disapprove of the way Jesus eats, and in particular, the people that he eats with. Because remember, shared meals were like group boundary markers. They said something very important about your relationship with and acceptance of the people you ate with. Zacchaeus' chief tax collector is like the sinner extraordinaire, and Jesus is closely associating himself with him. The crowd are scandalized. We saw the same reaction back at the first meal we looked at in chapter 7. But whereas there, Jesus challenged Simon directly. Here, he doesn't have that much interaction with the crowd. It's almost as if by now, this crowd who have over and over again refused to align themselves with the new order, refused to see things in a new way, have hardened themselves to the way of the kingdom. But there is a hint of a challenge in Jesus' words in verses 9 and 10. He's speaking to Zacchaeus, but he also talks about him in the third person. He too is a son of Abraham. It's like he's also addressing the crowd here, challenging their assumptions of who's in and who's out. And I think there are two connected challenges here. Verse 10 is like a summary of Jesus' mission. The Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. And right back near the start of the gospel, there's another similar mission statement. And coincidentally, it's also at a meal with a tax collector. In chapter 5, when Jesus eats with Levi, he explains to the Pharisees when they complain, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Together, these two statements that Jesus makes as he eats with tax, tax collectors 
sums up his mission pretty well. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He came to seek out and save the lost. The challenge to the crowd here in verse 10, I think, is to recognize their own lostness, their own need. We thought a little bit about the rich young ruler from chapter 18. And I think a big part of his problem was that his wealth made him feel self-sufficient. <coughs> the thought of selling all his possessions and following Jesus, trusting that his needs would be met, was too much for him. He went away sad because he couldn't do the one thing remaining. He couldn't accept the nature of God's upside-down kingdom were to enter. There's no need to prove your citizenship or your worth to the kingdom. You just need to recognize your need. And those who don't can't be saved. Jesus didn't come to call the righteous. He came for the lost, the sinners, those who knew their brokenness. So the first challenge to the crowd is recognize your own lostness, your own need. And I think that's something we need to be challenged on as well. Because it's so easy for us to start to feel self-sufficient. At least I know it is for me. And the other related challenge has to do with the boundaries that the crowd have put up. The way that they've categorized people and then accordingly included or excluded them from the religious community is no longer appropriate. As we thought about earlier, it's not for us to decide how people will respond, who's in and who's out. <coughs> Again, one of the commentaries put it helpfully. Jesus, through forgiveness, redefines the religious community. His work is a challenge to social existence. His call of the outcasts of Israel is the first step in the formation of a community which tears down old walls by including the previously excluded. Now the only barrier is recognizing your own needs and coming to Jesus with that. And even though there is less interaction between Jesus and the crowd than in the other meal scenes, that invitation is still on offer to them. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Do you want it to? The Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. Do you know that you're lost? Do you want to be sought out? And we don't get to see the crowd's response. Do they accept Zacchaeus' inclusion in the community? Do they recognize their need? We don't know. Luke likes to leave things open-ended. And that means that there's room for them and for us as we read and listen and enter into the story, to choose to accept transformation. Should we do that? I'm just going to pray now, and then we're going to spend some time worshiping. Father God, I thank you that you're the God of transformation. God, I thank you that... Um, yeah, that you transform our lives now um, and that you offer that us that incredible hope for the future. And so we invite you to come now. We want to say yes to you, to what that transformation looks like for tomorrow and the next day and for the next month and the rest of our lives. And we want to worship you and praise you just now. <coughs> 